0: Well, we do need the Lord, and that's the main theme of our sermon today. We need Him. We depend on Him as we think of our purpose in life, as we think of our strength to fulfill our purpose. We indeed need the Lord. And so you can open again to John chapter 21 as we prepare to study verses 1 through 14 together. As we begin, I want to start by regaining some context so we remember what's going on exactly in the lives of our friends, Peter, James, and John, and the other disciples. So where are they at? What's been happening? Well, in chapter 20, we covered two main resurrection appearances of the Lord Jesus, three if you include the one uh, to Mary just there at the tomb in the garden. And so Jesus is risen. He's alive. And at least a week has passed. Remember, there was that first appearance to the disciples as they were afraid in that room, and Jesus appeared to them, and and they believed that he was indeed alive. But there was one who was missing, our friend Thomas. And a week later, Jesus seeks Thomas out, especially as he's there with the other disciples, and appears to Thomas, and shows Thomas his hands and his side, and and it it may be that Thomas even touched those things and was reminded that, ah, he is alive. I can believe in the risen Lord. And in that context, Jesus calls them to, uh, to serve him. In fact, when he appeared to the disciples, he said to them very specifically, as the Father sent me, I also send you. Receive my spirit. And he gave them help to do what he had called them to do. He gave them purpose. But then we encounter them here in chapter 21. And we might be confused at first. Jesus was there with them in in Jerusalem and had sort of sent them to, you know, represent him. And this hasn't yet been the, the full giving of the Spirit for God's help that will come at Pentecost. But he's given them help to fulfill their purpose, but we encounter them in chapter 21, and they've returned to Galilee. The Sea of Tiberias is in the north. It's the Sea of Galilee. You're familiar with the Sea of Galilee. It's in the north. It's the other part of Jerusalem quite a ways, or excuse me, the other part of Israel quite a ways from Jerusalem. So they've journeyed back home. And we begin to kind of scratch our heads at that for a second. Well, wait a second. Why why did they go back to Galilee? Why did they go back to that region? Well, I think the disciples that are listed, at least, it's probably their hometown. We know for sure it's where James and John were from. We know that Peter and Andrew were from there, and Andrew's not mentioned, but Peter is, and there's an unnamed disciple that I think is probably Andrew, Peter's brother, James and John are mentioned, but by extension, they're just called the, the sons of Zebedee. As we know, John, who we suppose to be the author, doesn't like to mention his name. And so he just calls himself and his brother the sons of Zebedee. So, so here enough, we've got Peter, James and John for sure, and probably Andrew, four that we know were from this region. We also know Philip and Nathaniel were from this region. Oh, Nathaniel's mentioned. And Philip was a friend of Nathanael. In fact, he was a friend of Andrew and Peter and Nathanael. And you remember early in the Gospel of John, it was Philip who encountered Jesus through Andrew, and then he went and told Nathanael, we found the Messiah. That's all the way back in the first chapter of John. And so I think this is kind of our group of guys here who have sort of gone back home. But why? Why have they gone back home? Well, we can surmise a number of reasons. John doesn't tell us specifically. They know Jesus is alive, and so in that sense, there's a sense of hope. But Jesus isn't with them all the time, so they think at least. He's not there, right? This list of names doesn't list Jesus. It's just disciples. And you may remember, in both gatherings, they're hidden behind locked doors, the day of the resurrection, they're sort of hidden inside for fear of the Jews. And even a week later, they're behind the same closed doors, I think still afraid. Yes, Jesus is alive, but that hasn't stopped the Jews from hunting them down, the chief priests from seeking to put to death the disciples of Jesus. And so I think there is still some fear among the disciples. And so if we were to guess why they're in Galilee, I would surmise that They, yes, have been given this purpose from Jesus, but they're still afraid. And so maybe they think to themselves, well, we'll let things settle down in Jerusalem. So let's head home. Let's go where it's, you know, a little less intense. We'll go back there. We'll spend some time there. And then, you know, in good time, we'll do what Jesus has called us to do, whatever that means. They don't have all the details yet at this point. And and maybe the biggest concern of all, Jesus isn't there. In fact, it's the presence of Jesus that sort of becomes the theme of this text. You may notice that in verse 1, it's pointed out twice that Jesus showed Himself. It says that after these things, Jesus showed Himself again to the disciples, and in this way, He showed Himself. He manifested Himself. He revealed Himself. But Though two times at the beginning of this section is not enough. John mentions it one more time in verse 14. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples. This is a a manifestation of Jesus, a revelation of Jesus to his followers. I think that's the real key here. They're afraid, they're sort of purposeless, they're wandering, they've sort of drifted back to their home in Galilee. They're without Jesus, and Jesus comes and shows Himself to them. He reveals what He's like, who He is, and what it means to follow Him. Now, I've already mentioned, I think this chapter, chapter 21, is about following Jesus. The rest of the book, up to chapter 20, is about believing in Jesus, and we sort of have the conclusion to that section at the end of chapter 20. These signs, everything previous to chapter 20, were written that you may believe, okay, and that believing you may have life. So the assumption in John's mind, I think, is, okay, so you've believed, <laughs> you have life. Now let's see what it means to follow him. And so here Jesus shows himself and helps his followers understand what it means to follow Him. They think He's missing, they're lost, they're purposeless, and Jesus shows up to help them understand what it means to follow Him. Here's what we're going to see as we work through this text. With the risen Lord, we have all that we need to thrive in His purpose for us. The disciples are sort of lost and wandering. They're without Jesus Yes, they have this commission to, to do what He was called to do as well, as the Father sent me, I send you. But they're just sort of wandering. And they go back to fishing and they're just sort of lost. But Jesus shows up and shows them that they, they can depend on Him. That Without Him, they can do nothing. But with Him, they have purpose and they have strength as He welcomes them back. With the risen Lord, we have all that we need to thrive in His purpose for us. Well, let's consider exactly how this unfolds as we dig into the text today. In verse 3, again, we've got this group of seven disciples together. I've mentioned to you who I think they are. Peter, James, John, Nathaniel, Philip, and Andrew, and who did I miss? Thomas. There we go. He's mentioned in the text. I think think it's those seven. We don't know for sure, but we at least know some of them. And they're there in Galilee. And, And I love Peter's statement, right? I'm going fishing. It's <laughs> just, just so decisive, right? They, they already have some purpose from Jesus. I mean, you can see it maybe even on the same page of your Bible. Chapter 20, verse 21 is where he told them, has the Father sent me, so I send you. I mean, they've got some purpose here. But Peter's just kind of like, I'm going fishing. Back to the water. Now, it's possible that it's just simply to solve a, a temporary need, right? They've got to eat. They need income. They need money. The, the master who's been providing for them is gone, and so maybe it's just to solve a simple problem. It could be. The other disciples are quick to jump on board, aren't they? I mean, he says, I'm going fishing, and the rest of them are like, okay, we're going with you also. And in John's description of this, it all happens quickly. Notice how fast verse 3 goes we're going with you also they went out immediately got into the boat and that night they caught nothing i mean it's just like boom 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 they go, okay we're going with you and they get out and a whole night passes and they're unsuccessful in their fishing nothing nothing they come up empty so they've sort of wandered from jesus purchase they, they they go out on the boat they go fishing and they get nothing they turn back to something familiar, something they know, something they're good at, something that feels comfortable, and, and maybe even to help provide for their needs. All right, well, we, come on, guys. We need some money. We need some food. Let's just let's go back to what we know. This will be good. Give us some time to think. We'll make some profit off of this. Let's go fishing. Again, we don't know all the reasons, but there they are. And in the morning, they've caught nothing. What we learn from this first section is, I think, in the absence of Jesus, this, what screams from the text is this failure. They're wandering, they're going back to old things, and maybe the words of John 15, 5 ring in their heads when Jesus told them, without me, you can do nothing. And so here they are. They've sort of left Jesus' purpose, gone back to the waters, and they're fishing, and Nothing. What we learn is without Him, we can't do anything. Without Him, we have no strength. Without Him, we don't have true purpose. You see, it's, it's with Jesus that we find all these things. They've wandered away from Him and His purpose and discovered that without Him, they can do nothing. Sometimes in life, we, we grow discontent with where we're at. Maybe we're even successful, but we, we start to look at the green grass on the other side of the fence, a different position, a different, a different status in life, something else that will be better. And so we, we sort of leave where we're at and we pursue this other thing, or maybe we go back to something we had before. I started looking up uh, strange career changes, people that were discontent with their position and made a career change, and I found some very unique ones. One was a successful engineer, making six figures and, and at a great secure position. And she decided to become a puppeteer, make puppets and sell them, follow her dream. I don't know how it's going, but anyway... One reverend uh, had a side gig where he would uh, show up as an Elvis impersonator to various events, and after years as a minister, he finally decided that was his calling, and so he left the ministry and began uh, impersonating Elvis at various events, and even uh, made his way into some churches, according to the report that I read. So, I have no dreams of that, don't worry, Maybe the most interesting one was a millionaire lawyer, again, making six figures annually or more, decided to follow his dream and join the circus as a human cannonball. <laughs> I wish I had like Dave Harvey's the rest of the story, you know, as he could tell you how these things turned out. I don't know, but those are some interesting career changes, Right? They leave what they were doing and pursue something else in hopes that they'll feel satisfied, in hopes that it will go well for them. And I wonder if that's a sense of what happened with the disciples here. Jesus, this, this turn of events, I mean, yes, it's exciting. He's alive, but he's not with us every day and we don't really know what we're doing. Let's, let's go back to fishing. We at least know what to do. We can know what we're doing. We, we, we're familiar with that. And even that fails. Without the Lord Jesus, we can do nothing. Maybe you find yourself in a similar position with the disciples today. Some turn of events has left you afraid, unsure about the future, how things are going to unfold, feeling a bit lost, unsure of what your purpose in it is, How do do I play a part in this? Lord, what are you going to do through this? I I, I don't understand. I think we can relate to where the disciples are at. You find yourself reeling and and wonder which way is up. And and maybe it's from some health diagnosis you've received recently. Or some relationship that's uh, going through strain right now. Or an employment shift or just some big question about your future. These things can leave us unsure and afraid and ready to sort of drift away from the Lord. In those times, remember the Lord, remember His purpose, and that without Him, you can do nothing. Maybe you've drifted, and in that new place, you feel like a failure. You feel like you've been fishing all night and come up with nothing. (laughs) The nets are still empty. Maybe you feel like Peter, and there's something on your conscience still weighing you down, having betrayed him three times. Your guilty conscience tells you that God will never be able to use you again. Because of your mistakes, you must be far from God, right? Maybe you want to get out of the mess you've made, but you aren't sure what that looks like and what the next steps are. Remember the Lord Jesus. He's there. He has a purpose for you, and you need Him. You need Him. When we feel this way, we often run to what we know. We go back to the old life. We go back to things that we feel like maybe have given us a sense of purpose or fulfillment in the past. Maybe we lose ourselves in a video game. Or we turn to some kind of vice to numb the feelings. We seek some kind of escape to help us feel better about the situation. We immerse ourselves in work or in sports or in something else that we've been successful in in the past. But in all of that, we begin to lose motivation to go to church or to grow in our relationship with God. We still end up feeling empty, nets with no fish None of it satisfies. At the end of the day, we need the Lord. If you're frustrated or confused by a turn of events that God has allowed, sometimes in those moments we stop depending on Him. We start trying to do things in our own strength, but the bottom line is we can't do anything of value on our own. We need Him. When we stray from Him and ignore Him, we find ourselves lost. We find ourselves struggling. We find ourselves failing. We need Him for everything. We need Him to love people. We need Him to get through trials. We need Him to serve with joy. We need Him to encourage others. We need Him to bear with one another. We need Him to love our spouse. We need Him for wisdom in our decisions. If you find yourself failing in those categories, remember what you need is more of Jesus. Without Him, you can do nothing. But the story continues to unfold. Our failure friends, the disciples, are there on the water with nothing, and I love the turn of verse 4. But when the morning had come, every night is followed by the morning. There in the morning, as the sun rises, they look to the shores, and they see someone standing there. And the disciples don't know who it is. We, as readers, are sort of given a a secret glimpse, you know, this behind-the-scenes look. It's Jesus. And the way the verse is worded, if you notice in verse 4, the way it's worded is He stood there on the shore. It's almost as if He had been there all along, and it just took the rising of the sun for them to see. Wait, there's... Someone on the shore over there. Who is it? There's Jesus. In fact, the reason I say he may have already been there comes from something Jesus said already to them. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 and 32, there we find Jesus at the night of his betrayal, and he's preparing his disciples for what's going to come. Listen to what he says to them there on that night just before he's arrested. He says this, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Do you hear that? After I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus knew they'd be scattered, He knew they'd stumble. He knew that for whatever reason they, they would end up kind of drifting their way back to Galilee and, and then onto the sea and to go fishing. And he says here in Matthew, I will go before you to Galilee. He's already there, he's already with them. They just don't know. And so the sun begins to rise, and there's Jesus on the shore in the morning. And in verse 5, he calls to them. He says, children, have you any food? The word children is kind of a unique uh, greeting, but it's one that was used. You could think of it maybe like guys or boys or lads if you were in the UK. It's kind of like that. And so he calls out to them, hey, guys, boys, do you have any fish? And actually, he asks it in the negative. You haven't caught any fish yet, have you? (laughs) He knows. He knows. And so they just respond with one word, no. And so this unknown person to them calls out again, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And they don't question, they do it. They cast it on the other side of the boat and the the net is so full, they can't even pull it into the boat. They're just just kind of holding on to it there at the side of the boat. It's full of fish. They weren't able to draw it into the boat. This stranger on the shore was right. And I don't know what the disciples were thinking here. They're probably wondering, well, that's, that's crazy. I mean, how did this... That's, maybe, maybe his angle from the shore, he could see like a school of fish swimming to the right side of the boat there. How in the world did this happen? <laughs> so there's Jesus, and suddenly their nets are full. Do you see the contrast, the, the change that happens so quickly? Jesus is not there. Their nets are empty. All it takes is verses 4, 5, and 6. Jesus is there, nets full. He comes and He provides. And this is the key to these verses. Jesus comes and He provides. He's there. In fact, we could word this even more accurately He was never missing. (laughs) He was in Galilee before they even arrived. Standing on the shore, and as the sun rises, they see this shadowy figure there, not sure who it is, and Jesus is providing for them. He was there. He comes, and He provides. He helps them. They listen to his voice, and it's as soon as they listen to the instructions from the master that things begin to go well. And I want you to notice the contrasts that are portrayed here. The disciples are on the sea, and often the sea depicted just an area of tumult, and, you know, the waves going up and down, and it, it just represented disaster, but there's Jesus standing on the shore, the solid ground. The disciples have been out all night, but Jesus brings the morning. The disciples have failed, but Jesus brings success. The disciples have nothing, but Jesus provides. This is the way He is. He comes and He provides. Even when we've wandered, He knew it all before, and He comes and He provides. In high school, I participated in, uh, in band, and so... Uh, Pretty much every season of the year, there was something going on that we were preparing for, whether it was marching band season, whether it was concert season, whatever else, there was always a reason I needed to have my trumpet at the school. And so uh, early on, I learned that that went better if I just left my trumpet at the school. Of course, my teachers didn't like that because then I wasn't practicing, right? So there were times that, you know, out of guilty conscience, I'd take my trumpet home so I could practice at home. But inevitably, Monday morning would come, and it was time to go to school, and I'd get to school, and I'd start to think through my day. Okay, what do we have going on today? Well, yeah, I've got band, and then we've got that rehearsal thing after school. and <gasps> I left my trumpet at home. This literally happened hundreds of times, right? And this was back in the day uh, when there were pay phones that we used, right? No cell phones. I know this is, sounds really strange. I'm giving away my age here, but all we had in the school, if we wanted to call home, was a pay phone, And so, you know, you had to kind of dig around your pockets and hope you had enough change or ask all your friends for part of their lunch money so you could make a call home and reach your parent and see if mom would be willing to drive the trumpet over. We just lived, uh, you know, five minutes from the school, so it was quite convenient. And my mom graciously would often bring the trumpet over. This is how bad it got. There were even times that, see if you remember this, I had to call collect To get a hold of my mom, because I didn't have any change. Remember calling, collect? And you could even insert, they would say, okay, well, what's the name of the person calling? Mom, I forgot my trumpet. (laughs) And she could decide whether she wanted to accept the call or not at that point, right? These are the lengths we go to, to, uh, to get what we need. Now... I learned my lesson after long. Uh, Pretty soon my parents were like, okay, we've developed a habit here. We're not bringing the trumpet anymore, so you've got to figure things out on your own. And sure enough, learned to remember my trumpet. But what a kind parent in my dire straits to have the instrument I needed for my band rehearsal, to drive over to the school and drop it off. She came and provided just what I needed when I needed it even more so with our Lord. When we've wandered and strayed, when we've forgotten our purpose, when we're not doing what He's called us to do, He's already there and ready to provide for us. It often seems like He's not there. It seems like He just just finally comes to us at the right moment, but the story reminds us that as promised, He's there all along. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. Never, ever. So friend, I don't know what it feels like in your situation today, but remember, Jesus is already there. He hasn't left you. He knows our failures even before they happen. He doesn't abandon us in them. He's present, continuing to provide for us. I I love that Jesus knew that they would be going to Galilee and said he would be there before them. He knew they would wander. He knew they would be on the boat failing. He knew all this would happen. They didn't change his perspective. I didn't say, okay, well, that's it. I'm staying in Jerusalem. You guys are on your own. No, he went before them. He's there. He knows our failings. And he's still with us. He doesn't abandon us. This is a beautiful gospel truth. Why can Jesus go before them to Galilee even though they're failing? Why can God stay faithful to us even when we fail? Because the same Savior cried from the cross, it is finished. It's because my sins are paid in full. That when I continue to sin, God does not have to turn His back on me. In fact, not only does He not have to, He's promised that He never will. Because my sins are paid in full in Christ. And so God forever looks upon me and sees the righteousness of His Son. He looks upon me with grace and mercy and love, and that even when I wander, He doesn't go anywhere. In fact, He pursues me, and He continues to provide for me. This is the beautiful picture of the gospel. God is faithful even when we're not, and He showed us that on the cross. He comes and provides. He knows our failures before they happen, and He doesn't abandon us. He continues to be present. Though we sin, He will never remove His Spirit from those who've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Though we sin, He continues to give grace. Though sin abounds, grace abounds more. Though we sin, He continues to meet our needs. Friends, He's with you, and He's providing for you. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. Well, the disciples in the boat they begin to put the pieces together. Well, at least John does. We read in verse 7 Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. The disciple whom Jesus loved has been consistently referring to, I think, the John, the, the author of this gospel. And so he's there in the boat with Peter. And you'll notice the beginning of the verse starts with the word, therefore. Something has clued John in that this is the Lord. And maybe your own mind is kind of ringing a bell here. Something seems familiar about this scene. There are the disciples having been out all night, and the nets were empty. They cast on the other side, and the nets are full. Is this ringing a bell In Luke chapter 5, we read of an extremely similar account. And guess who was there? Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And guess how long they'd been out fishing? All night. Guess how much they'd caught? Nothing. (laughs) And Jesus calls from the shore in that scene in Luke 5 and says, cast on the other side. And they do. And Guess how full their nets are? So full in that passage, they begin breaking. This passage, they don't. And so the disciples in Luke 5 row to shore, and there's Jesus. He had done this miracle once before. And so sure enough, John, thinking back, it all clicks. They still can't make out who it is on the shore, but John remembers John thinks back, yeah, this is exactly what happened before. The nets were empty and then they were full. And so he turns to Peter, it is the Lord. And pretty typical here, John figures it out first. Peter takes action first, right? So as soon as John tells Peter that it is the Lord, Peter's like, oh, Yes, I remember, you're right. And so Peter throws on his outer garment. He was probably fishing in very little clothing. And so he takes his outer garment and cinches it tightly, puts it on, and dives into the water to go to Jesus. So he's properly clothed before he meets the Lord. Or, as one commentator even puts out, maybe it's as if Peter is taking everything he has with him in order to follow the Lord once again. He dives into the water and begins swimming to the shore. The more practically-minded disciples stay in the boat and uh, row it to shore, right? I mean, somebody's got to do it. (laughs) So there's Peter swimming, and there's probably one or two disciples holding the net of fish, and the others are rowing. They're about 100 yards from shore, as John points out, 200 cubits. And so that's a decent distance to swim, and Peter was probably somewhat fit as a fisherman. We don't know for sure. But I can imagine the boat actually sort of catching up to Peter at some point, you know. And so there he is swimming away, his 100-yard dash, and the the guys are in the boat uh, pulling it to shore as well. We're not really told about their arrival until verse 9. They all come to land about the same time. And so they arrive And uh, yeah. But what stands out about this next section is their recognition of the Lord. There in verse 7, it occurs to John first, it occurs to Peter second, but John says, It is the Lord. He's here, He's present. They realize, now we know Jesus has been present all along, but this is the moment of realization in their minds He's here, it's Him. And Peter just dives in and runs back to his Lord. What we learn here is that Jesus comes to us, He provides for us, and it's often through that provision that He reminds us of His presence. It's not that He was ever missing, but it's often through His power and provision that He reminds us that He's there. Just like He does for the disciples here. What was it that called their attention to His presence? It wasn't that they saw Him and I think that's key, because they're entering a period of time when they aren't going to see Him. What reminded them of His presence was His power and His provision. They cast them in on the other side, the net is full. Wait a second, someone's done this before. This is Jesus. It's Him. It's the Lord. He's here. His power and His provision remind us of His presence. Sometimes we forget that things are around. We, we sort of get focused in and we, we forget what's going on around us. I tend to be this way when I get thinking about a problem that needs to be solved. I like dive into deep thought mode and it really doesn't matter what's going on around me. I sort of become oblivious. You can just ask my wife about that one. Uh, and so, you know, people can be talking or whatever else and uh, suddenly something will kind of wake me up out of me like, what? What's going on? You know? Uh, We asked you three questions. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was uh, thinking about something. Apologize for that, right? So they were there. They were talking, but I was so deep in thought, I completely missed it. Maybe you've had this experience where you're looking for something, right? Maybe you're looking for your glasses, searching all over the house for them and only to discover, oh, here they are. They were on my head. They were there all along. I just didn't notice it. I even observed one occasion where a person was on the phone with a friend. Yes, I can't find it anywhere. I don't understand. Uh, what are you using right now? I'm like, oh, <laughs> found it. <laughs> Absent mindedly, sometimes we, we lose things that we're never missing. Why? Because we just don't see it. We, we get distracted with something else. We drift off in our thinking or in our living, whatever it may be, and we miss what's right in front of us. But here, Jesus kind of wakes them up out of their wandering stupor and reminds them by his power and provision, I'm here. They still haven't seen him yet, but I'm here. This tends to happen to us. And we need to be reminded of the Lord's presence. We, we are focused on our divergent plans, lost and seeking our own ends. And Jesus often clues us in with gentle reminders. Maybe some scripture comes to mind. Or maybe you're Peter and you've got a friend like John who kind of gives you that nudge and says, It's the Lord. Oh, right. Maybe we notice God's hand of provision in our lives Maybe it's the way God uses His Word. Maybe you're here today as a little nudge reminder from the Lord. I'm here. Remember, I'm with you. God is so kind. He gives us these reminders of His presence. So friend, look up from your lostness again and see it is the Lord. He is with you. He's the one that you need. He's never gone anywhere. He paid for your sins and He's pursued you every place you've gone. You can never wander from His presence. But that's not all. Remember the response of Peter here. I love this. As soon as you remember, dive in. (laughs) Right? Run, swim, or row back to the Savior as fast as you can, whatever it may be. In Peter's life, that first miracle in Luke 5 was extremely significant in his life. It was the moment that Peter repented and devoted his life to following Jesus. In fact, in that passage, Jesus told those men that from here on they would become fishers of men. Here, Peter's reminded of the presence of Jesus. He wakes up out of his wandering stupor and runs back to Jesus and finds his true purpose. But how will Jesus respond to Peter? And that's what we see in verses 9 through 14. Peter and the disciples make it to shore. We don't know the order. They come in from the boat. They were not far from land. They've dragged the net there. It's Probably partially in the water, partially on the sand. And in verse nine, as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus is not only there; he's got everything he needs, and that they need. the, the fire is already started. There's already fish and bread. He doesn't need the fish they've caught. <laughs> Who cares where he got the fish? Maybe he made it on the spot. It really doesn't matter. Jesus is the provision. He's got the bread, he's got the fish, he's got the fire going, he's ready for them. It's almost as if Jesus, the host, is welcoming them off the sea, onto the solid ground, to his home, that, oh, come, man, I've got breakfast ready. As they approach, Jesus has them pause for a moment. Bring some of the fish which you've just caught, not because he needs it, He's involving them in what he's doing. Do you notice how graciously Jesus said that? Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Think about that for a moment. Who caught the fish, right? Jesus caught the fish, right? I mean, yes, they had the net. They were holding the net. That's basically all they did. They held the net and they rowed. Nice work, guys. But Jesus kindly says, oh, Bring some of the fish you've caught. You see, this is what he does when we participate in the work of God. He is gracious and allows us to partake in the harvest, in the bounty. And we can say, as strange as it sounds, I helped. (laughs) I did something. Even though it was all Jesus bring some of the fish you've caught. And so Peter goes first again, first to take action and begins pulling the net with 153 large fish. This was indeed quite heavy, probably between 400 to 800 pounds. And so Peter probably made very little progress before a few other disciples came and joined him and together they likely dragged it to shore. It's possible Peter did it by himself with some miraculous strength from Christ uh, imbued there, but John doesn't seem surprised at all, so I think uh, it's likely that Peter was helped by other disciples. John is instead surprised that the net did not break. A seasoned fisherman, he knew that it was likely with this many fish and this much weight, the net would begin to rip and tear. But here Jesus even has held the net together and all the fish are kept And so in verse 12, we have the sweet invitation. Come and eat breakfast. They've been out all night. They've failed. They've got to be famished. And Jesus already has breakfast ready for them. Come and eat. And you see the sense of fellowship in verses 12 and 13. This almost sounds like a communion passage, doesn't it? They come to him and he takes the bread and gives it to them. And he takes the fish and gives it to them, right? So there's there's this fellowship around this breakfast meal. Now, there's an interesting comment in the middle of verse 12. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? I think there's two things going on here. There's there's a degree of unbelief in their hearts still. I think it's what they're seeing is obvious to them. It's clearly Jesus. They know from his power, they know from his presence, he looks just like Jesus, this is Jesus. But can it really be? I mean, is this just a vision? I think that's part of what they've been wondering all along. You know, with the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, with the appearance in the room, are we just having like strange visions of Jesus? I mean, is this really happening? But they don't dare ask because they know it really is Him. It's the Lord. It's obvious. It's Jesus. And He eats with them. I think as another reminder, it really is Him. So here they are. The disciples say very little. In fact, we hear only their thoughts there in verse 12. Their mouths are shut. They're just kind of taking all this in as Jesus welcomes them back into his presence and returns them to their purpose. And I want you to notice two things that I think are significant about this. First, is a beautiful picture of fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the welcome of Christ because of the gospel. And if you've ever wandered from the Lord Jesus Remember that through the gospel, because of the gospel, there is always a welcome back to Him. The cross has paid for that welcome. He said from the cross, it is finished. Your sins are paid in full. And so when He helps us to see our sin and that we've strayed, when we turn back to Him, there's always this welcome. That's a gospel welcome. And I love that picture. So Jesus is drawing them back into fellowship with him. But not only is this fellowship around the meal, I think this is meant to remind them of their purpose. Remember, the similar scene from Luke 5 is the time in which four of these disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, were called to become fishers of men. He was calling them off the water to begin catching people to become followers after Jesus. And he would spent three years with them, training them to do this. And Now, once again, he has to call them off, to, off the water. He probably doesn't even have to say it this time. They remember the former scene. Oh, yeah, this is, uh, this is when he told us. No longer will we be fishermen, we'll be fishers of men. I remember. Jesus isn't, isn't berating them. He's not punishing them. He's made breakfast for them. <laughs> he welcomes them back and gently reminds them of their purpose. He draws them into fellowship and calls them back to do what He's called them to do. And this is the final thing we learn about our Savior here. He calls us back into fellowship with Him and into His purpose. We may have wandered from Him, But the gospel reminds us He welcomes us back and is ready for us to take part in His purpose once again. Now, the specific purpose for the disciples was to be fishers of men. He called them to be sent just as He was sent. But as we continue understanding the New Testament, we realize that, friends, you and I have a very similar purpose, don't we? That we live for the One who died for us and rose again, that we make disciples of all nations, that we become ambassadors for Christ, calling to the world to find peace with God. This becomes our purpose. And though we may have wandered, Jesus welcomes us back into fellowship and calls us to fulfill His purpose once again. I was uh, with a certain internet company for quite a few years when I lived over in Ankeny. And their prices kept increasing, and it felt like at the same time their customer service kept declining. And Internet was in and out, and I thought, you know what, enough of this. I'm just going to cancel it and save money and go with a different company. So I called them up. That's enough of this. I'm canceling. I don't want to be with you any longer. Oh, can't we keep you? Nope, I'm done. I'm moving to a different company. Click. So we got done with that Internet company. But then... Week after week, their team began calling me. We want you back. We want you back as our customer. We'll offer you this rate. And it was like, no, no, it was still too much. I don't want to go back. Another call would come. We want you back. We want you back. We'll offer you this rate. No, no, I don't want to come. Finally, the rate got down where it was, you know, a significant amount less than the other company I had gone with. Okay, fine. I guess I'll come back, right? And so this lower rate finally persuaded me to come back to them. We want you back, they would say. The Lord, who's purchased you with His blood, who died for your sins and rose again, though you wander, He has gone before you. Though you sin, He knows it all and has paid for it. He wants you back. If you've strayed or wandered, He welcomes you back into fellowship with Him and into His purpose for you. You see, the welcome of God is rich and encouraging. Nothing can separate us from His love. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So turn to face Him again. He welcomes you. Find joy in His forgiving presence. It may be that you've never been welcomed into peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ that the weight of your sins is still weighing on your shoulders, that you know today that you're not at peace with God. The one who paid for your sins calls you to come. Confess your sins to God. Turn from your way of doing life and live for Him by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. He died for your sins and rose again. And if you come to Him by faith, he promises you forgiveness of sins, peace with God, life everlasting with Him, and a purpose, not to live as you lived before, but as the Scriptures tell us, that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. But because He's given us life, we give Him our life. We return to this sense of purpose. And so, friend, if you have trusted in Christ as Savior, are you living for His purpose? Return to God and find joy in His task for you. Verse 14 closes this section by reminding us that all of this is not so much about Peter and James and John. It's about the Lord Jesus. This is the third time He revealed Himself to them. And so what we see in Jesus here is His welcome, that without Him we can do nothing. Yet He comes to us and provides for us. He reminds us of His presence and He draws us back into fellowship with Him, into living for His purpose. And as we reflect on this scene and the contrast between fishing in the waters and these men becoming fishers of men, we can't help but be reminded of that purpose for us as well. And as we seek to be fishers of men, so to speak, to take the gospel to those in need, we know that we can only thrive in that purpose as we depend on the Lord Jesus Christ. Without Him, we can do nothing. And yet He's with us. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 makes it clear that as they go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, what does He encourage them with? I am with you always. He doesn't leave us. He helps us. He's with us always. Draws us back into fellowship and into His purpose. Friend, you may look to the future and you're unsure about what God has for you. Remember your purpose in Christ, to live for Him and His glory. No matter where you work, no matter what you do, no matter what your health situation is, no matter your family situation, no matter what question marks you look to in your future, God has a clear purpose for you. You're alive today. You're breathing today to give Him glory. By yielding to His Spirit and His Word, you can show people around you what the Lord Jesus is like. You can call to the dying souls that you interact with, be reconciled to God by faith in Jesus Christ. This is your purpose. And with Jesus, you find all that you need to to thrive in that purpose. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this encouraging text as the Lord Jesus reminds us of our purpose, as our risen Lord shows us His presence and power, and that whatever we face in this life, we have enough because we have Jesus. And so help us as we go from here to fulfill our purpose, to be ready to live for Him, and pray specifically for those who may have wandered from you or feel distant from you today, that they would see your welcome and come back to you even today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.